Psalm 139. To the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well, very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. May God, the Holy Spirit, who is the author of this word, may he give us understanding in its truth and its application to our life. Let's bow in a word of prayer and let's ask the Lord to be our teacher this morning as we come to him. Almighty God, holy, 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 Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is your blessed and great name. We come before you this day as the psalmist cried out to you, how precious are your thoughts to us, O God. How vast is the sum of them. You indeed are great and greatly to be praised, to even bother to want to look with kindness and favor upon us, your redeemed people. But we praise and thank you for your mercies and for your goodness. And today we come to celebrate the fact that you are the author, the origin of life, both in the physical realm as well as in the spiritual realm. My prayer today, O oh God, as we look at this and join many other evangelical and reformed believers uh, all over the world in affirming again the value and the beauty of life from your standpoint, that you would fill our hearts with, with joy and deeper perspective and understanding of this wonder that you have created and called life. So speak to us, we pray, from your word, and let your spirit impress upon our hearts these, these truths that are so wonderful. And yes, O oh Lord, for the one who is to speak now, would you kindly hear his words and prayers for the forgiveness of his sins, for he knows that they are many. 
in this time, we want to understand and to see in a deeper and, one, and greater way the wonder of your majesty and beauty, O creator and redeeming God, for your honor and for your glory. These things we ask in the precious name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Cecil Francis Alexander, or Franny, uh, Fanny as she was belovedly known, was a ninth, early uh, to mid-19th century beloved Irish poet and hymn writer who in 1848, when she was 30 years of age, produced, and it's still used today, all these years later, a wonderful little children's hymn book called Hymns for Little Children. And there are still, after when it was published in 1848, there are still poems and hymns in there that we still sing today, such as, can I, can I sing to you a little bit this morning? Every Christmas time, many times you'll hear this song. Once in royal David city stood a lowly cattle shed where a mother laid her baby in a manger for his bed. Mary was that mother mild, Jesus Christ her little child. Know that one? How about this one that we oftentimes sing during uh, the time leading up to, uh, to Good Friday and to Easter? There is a green hill far away without a city wall where the dear Lord was crucified who died to save us all. Oh, dearly, dearly has he loved. If you know it, sing with me. And we must love him too and trust in his redeeming blood and try his works to do. But then there's a third one that's even probably greater than the other two in terms of its longstanding popularity. Annie Alexander wrote these wonderful, in fact, there have been books written on this with the theme. There has actually been movies and television shows made on it. And it's in your notes there in your worship guide. All things bright and beautiful, all creatures great and small, all things wise and wonderful, the Lord God made them all. Each little flower that opens, each little bird that sings, he made their glowing colors, he made their tiny wings. The purple-headed mountain, the river running by, the sunset and the morning that brightens up the sky, the cold wind in the winter, the pleasant summer sun, the ripe fruits in the garden, he made them every one. The tall trees in the green wood, the meadows where we play, the flowers by the water we gather every day. He gave us eyes to see them and lips that we might tell how great is God Almighty who has made all things. This beloved children's poem reminds us that 
Traditionally, at this seasonal time of the year, we take the time to join with fellow Christians really all over our country and even beyond it to remember the sacredness and the wonder of life from Almighty God. And we stand together as a community of faith, a spiritual family, to declare our love for life and to speak truth in love to a portion of our culture that seeks to devalue and to distort its splendor as coming from God. Now this morning what I'd like to do is I am pretty confident that many of the passages of Scripture that we're going to, of all the passages of Scripture that we're going to look at this morning, there will be probably few, if anything, there might be a thing or two you, you might learn today. But here's the, the, the point that I want to emphasize this morning as we think about the beauty and wonder of life from God's standpoint. We all know, if you can picture in my mind here, <clears throat> first of all, the, the beauty and wonder of human life. We all know that that is beautiful and wonderful in the created world that we see around us. And we also know that Jesus came that we might have eternal life. And we know how valuable, how sacred, and how wonderful that is, both human life and eternal life. But what I often find is that many believers do not understand nor appreciate to its fullest extent the inseparable connection that exists between human life and eternal life. There is a vital connection between the two, and through our study this morning, we will see that over and over again. So what is the connection that we see between human life as we know it here in our experience and the eternal life that God has? The big idea that I want to share with you this morning is simply this. We cherish the wonder of life when we see it from God's standpoint. Because both of these great portals, human life and eternal life, are vitally connected to one another. Human life is the portal of God's power in order to receive eternal life. In fact, you can't, you can't become a newborn child in the kingdom of God unless you are human. And then likewise, eternal life is the portal of God's purposes to understand human life. When you receive eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, God fills you with an understanding through His Spirit of His truth so that you can look back upon human life now and see the value and the wonder and the sacredness that it brings. So with that in mind, there are just some basic ABCs from God's standpoint that we understand when we look at life the way God wants us to look at life from where he sits as creator and redeemer. First of all, the letter A, God is the author of life. Take your Bibles and turn with me uh, from Psalms, one book back to the book of Job, <clears throat> Job chapter 12. What beautiful poetry is in this passage of Scripture in Job chapter 12, beginning at verse 7. 
Job is literally in the midst of everything that is going on to him. He, he, he puts together this rhetorical question, and you'll see the beauty of the, of the metaphors and the questions that he's asking. Verse 7, but asks the be- ask the beast and they will teach you. The birds of the heavens, and they will tell you, or the bushes of the earth, and they will teach you, and the fish of the sea will declare to you. Now, do bushes and fish and birds, do they actually communicate to you and to me so that we can understand through the language that they give? Of course not. What Job is saying, when you look at the actions of creation, this is what he says in verse 9. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Does not the ear test words as the palate tastes food? Wisdom is with the ages and the understanding in length of days. With God are wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding If he tears down, none can rebuild. If he shuts a man in, none can open. Job is reminding us here that God is the one who's the author of life. In him is the life and breath of everything. He creates and sustains all life for his own glory. Paul says the same thing in Acts chapter 17. In God, in him, the God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and the earth, doesn't live in temples built by hands. Paul said, to those on Mars Hill, because in him we live and move and have our being. God is the one that created human beings in his image and in his likeness, as Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 say. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There is something beautiful and wonderful with the one man and the one woman in holy covenant marriage with one another whose vows were made before God. There is something wonderful in that one flesh relationship that projects and reflects and mirrors the image of God. Likewise, in the church as a community of redeemed people, redeemed males, redeemed females, sharing Loving, communicating, partnering, witnessing, working, worshiping together in the redeemed community of God, we see a glimpse of the wonder of God, not only through creation, but also through redemption. That is why the church should be called a community of faith, a family, a spiritual family with one another reflecting the wonder and greatness of God. But not only is the God is God the author of human life, he's also the the God of eternal life. And this is something that Nicodemus didn't understand. Nicodemus, that great religious ruler of the Jews who came to Jesus at night. Take your Bible and turn with me to John chapter 3. There are many things about this dialogue that, that people do understand, but there is one aspect that I find that many believers do not understand what Jesus means when he says these words in verse 5. Of John 3. Jesus answered and said, John 3, 5, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
I've asked many Christians over and over again, what does it mean to be born of water and spirit? Because this is talking about not physical life, it's talking about spiritual life, human, uh, uh, eternal life. What does this mean to be born of water and spirit? Now, obviously, from Nicodemus's own mind, being an Old Testament scholar in, in the law and in, and, in the, and in the wisdom literature and in the, the prophets, no doubt, he would have had in his mind probably images of that passage in Ezekiel 36. A portion of it was just read earlier in our service in the scripture reading, where he would have had that idea that God, through water and through the Spirit, would have breathed new life and, and rebirth and a national revival to, and restoration of the nation of Israel. But then he also, Nicodemus, could have well uh, thought of the water baptism of repentance that was being offered by John the baptizer because John the baptizer was the talk of the day uh, in Nicodemus's time where literally hundreds of thousands of people would come out to the wilderness to receive a baptism of repentance by John the baptizer, a sign of personal cleansing and preparation for the Messiah. Nicodemus could have been thinking of that kind of water and, and the Spirit, and of course, we know that water is, is a vital part of human life because there's, there's not a mother in this room who has given birth to a child when you know you're not far from giving birth when your what breaks? When your water breaks. And you get that sense in Nicodemus' own mind because he looks back at Jesus and he says, how can... How can a person, how can I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? He's thinking about the physical aspect of life. But Jesus is talking about spiritual birth. And so we have to ask ourselves, all right, what does it mean to be born of water in the spiritual sense of the word? It's here that just... Turn over one more chapter, over to chapter 4. Look at what Jesus says to the woman at the, Samar the Samaritan woman at the well. Here he ties the work of the Holy Spirit to water. Notice verse 14, whoever drinks, Jesus says, of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The same thing basically is seen in chapter 7, verses 37 and 38, where Jesus says, if someone believes and trusts in me, out of that person will flow rivers of living water. And these are not the, the, the physical waters. This is the water of eternal life. So we know that, that what Jesus is talking about is a rebirth that comes from the cleansing power of God. But what does water actually mean? You'll see in your notes, and, and for just for sake of time here, you can look at those things, but there has been much study done by a number of New Testament scholars who have looked at this idea of water and have likened the aspect of rain and, and water coming from, from the heavens below to replenish the earth. I can remember my father uh, being the farmer that he was, the farming background that he grew up in on a farm in Hemingway, South Carolina. I can remember when I was growing up, he would just 
look forward to seeing that rain. And, and I can remember we, we had a swing that was covered uh, by these large oak trees. So when it rained, you could see the rain coming, but fortunately the leaves protected most, uh, most of the time from us even getting wet. And I can remember my father looking, looking at me and saying when I was a child, look at the seeds of life that are coming from God's blessing in heaven to give new life and growth and replenishment to the soil. Interestingly enough, what does Peter say in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23? I have that for you there in your notes. 1 Peter 1, 23. Since, Peter says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding, say it with me, word of God. So I want to submit to you today that when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about being born of water and spirit, what he's really meaning here is water represents the life-planting power, may I say it this way, the life-planting seeds of God's word that have been sown in your life, combined with the spirit being the life-changing and producing power of God the Holy Spirit, both of those elements are essential in producing and affecting what we know as the new birth. And in both of these, both of these realms of life, physical life as well as eternal life, God is the one who is the author of them. Secondly, the letter B. There are many people today that want to say, as they debate this issue before the world, that life begins at conception. Well, that might be the human viewpoint, but from God's standpoint, Life doesn't begin at conception. From God's standpoint, life begins before conception and birth. May I say it to you this way, according to Psalm 139 that we read just a few moments ago in verses 16 and 17, you were on God's heart before you ever came into being. Isn't that what verse 16 says? Take a look at it. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. God thought about you before you were ever, ever conceived. And you see that its consequences in human life. Isn't that what God told the prophet Jeremiah? And I don't think Jeremiah is any exception to the rule. John the baptizer also leaped from his mother's womb before he even came into the world. But what does God say to Jeremiah in chapter 1, verse 5? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Eternal life, God is also is the one who works. You were on God's heart before spiritual life ever came to you. Before you were even born, it says in Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 6, even as he has chose us, chosen us in him before the foundations of the world. 
From God's standpoint, life actually begins before conception. You were beloved of God. Which leads us thirdly, letter C, to see from God's standpoint that God cherishes life. And so should we. We should cherish life and all of its divinely originated outcomes and even in divinely originating abnormalities that come in our lives. Turn with me in your Bible to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. I'm sure this is a familiar passage to many of you. It's where Moses basically comes before God after God speaks to him in the, as God's speaking to him in the burning bush. He spoke to him and told Moses, I'm sending you with a message to Pharaoh. And Moses, of course, he was given incredible powerful signs to show that God's power and presence were with him. But Moses wants to make excuses over and over again to God. Send somebody else. I'm not qualified. I don't have the skills. I don't have the abilities. You see that in chapter 4, verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Anybody like that? Slow of speech, slow of tongue, can't speak. I used to teach public, uh, I've taught public speaking for a number of years to college students. And I can remember first semester freshmen always basically say, I don't know anything about this and I'm scared to death to stand in front of public. Any of you like that when you took public speaking in school? That's Moses. But look at what God tells Moses in verse 11. And look at verse 11 carefully. The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? You know, the same thing can be said in John chapter 9. You remember in John chapter 9, there was the Lord Jesus, there was a man born blind that was brought to him. And the people that were around this man that was born blind look up at Jesus and they want always, somebody's always wanting to find a source of blame. Always wanting to point the finger. Something's wrong. You know, who's to blame? And, and, and this is what they did. It's nothing new under the sun. Still goes on today. It went back in the first century and even before that. And what do they say to Jesus? Lord, this one is born blind. Who is the one that sinned? Was it this man that sinned or was it his parents who sinned that made him be born blind? What is Jesus' answer in verse 3? Neither. But this man being born blind is a testimony to show that the works of God may be manifested and seen in this person's life. No matter what abnormality is going on, we are to cherish life. In the human realm of life, we're to celebrate life in all of its stages. We're to celebrate 
the beauty and wonder. And I, I get choked up when I'm thinking about this because my two, my two daughters just gave us uh, grandchild number five and number six just, just months, months ago. And uh, we get a chance, Beth and I get a chance to see on FaceTime uh, these precious little grandchildren and, and, and literally, and Beth is my witness, she'll tell you this, my, my daughter Heather in Pittsburgh yesterday morning uh, texted us, her, her husband Delisha was out hunting. Yesterday was the last day of deer hunting in Western PA, so they're out in the woods trying to get the last deer they can get, you know. But she's at home, and that precious little one-year-old Lael, she sees Beth and me on the, on, the, on the FaceTime screen, and guess what she does? She just opens up her arms like that and just wants to hug, you know. And you look at that beautiful, wonderful life, that life that just wants to love and wants to give, and you can't help but think, this is from Almighty God, that this happened. And, and we, celebrate, we celebrate those women who are, are in pregnancy, and we, we celebrate with the joy of life within them. We celebrate when those babies are born. We celebrate when they start to, when they start to crawl around. And then before you know it, they pick themselves up and they start looking, like, looking at you like, like our grandchildren have looked at us. They, they stand up on their own two feet for the first moment. All of a sudden, they do this number. They go like this. Just so full of love, full of excitement, full of happiness. I can walk. I can stand up. Look at me. We celebrate that. We celebrate when they become children and when they learn and they grow and they go to school, when they become students. We celebrate them in their youth when they become adults. We celebrate them when through life they become a senior. And yes, we celebrate them, beautiful, some of those beautiful people as I've, I've known and seen in my life is, is when God has enabled them to live a long and gracious life. And many of them have looked at me like they've looked at you and they've said, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. God has been so good. We celebrate all of those stages in life. We celebrate the abnormalities even. My first wife, Karen, for 25 years was a pediatric physical therapist that worked with families and children with special needs in the school system. And it was through her that I was able to see a portal into a beautiful realm of life that not many people get a chance to see children born with cerebral palsy or muscular dystrophy or different forms of autism, just to name a few, but to see their love for life and their, their love for, for her and subsequently for me, it gave me a new, fresh, beautiful picture of the beauty and wonder of life. And we are to celebrate life in all of its stages and even in its abnormalities, knowing that God is a good and gracious God. And in the spiritual life, we celebrate also the new birth. Isn't that what the shepherd did in Luke chapter 15? When he goes out and he finds the lost sheep, that one that is strayed away, and he brings that lost sheep back into the fold, and he tells everyone around him in the parable in Luke 15, rejoice with me, let us celebrate for this sheep that was mine was lost, but now has been found again. We celebrate when there is spiritual life and new birth brought into this world. 
Finally, we, as a point of application, the letter D, because of the wonder of God's life that he gives to us from his standpoint, we are called upon as God's people to defend it, to defend these God-ordained expressions of life, oftentimes that comes from human devaluing and deception and distortion. That means to those in our world that would seek to want to distort and devalue life as coming from God, we, we say that we seek to have compassion, deep compassion. You need to know, friends, as I'm speaking this, this is not theory. I have friends, I even have a family member or two that are in this camp, and I love them. I love them dearly. And it grieves me to see what has happened. And yet we are called to show compassion to those who have succumbed to the lies and distortions in this world over abortion and over human gender. We are to embody the grace and the truth of Christ. We are to speak the truth of God in grace at appropriate, divinely appointed times to be the biblical salt and light that God has called us to be. God created us in his image because of our sin. He redeemed us through Christ to be in that image, that redemptive image of Christ. We are called upon to show compassion to those who have, who have sought to distort it. It also means that we are called to champion adoption and to reach out in love to precious children. I remember my wife Karen would say over and over again, my first wife Karen, when, when she would see some of these uh, children, some of them would be adopted. And I can, never, I can never forget, she would look oftentimes to a group of people with me watching and listening to her, and she would look at those children, and she would say, look at those children. Whether they have abnormalities or they don't have abnormalities, Look at those children that we are adopting, that, that those parents were adopting. And she would look at them and she would say, these are not disadvantaged children. They are deserving children. Why? Because they are so valued in the sight of God, just as you are and I am. When it comes to spiritual life, we are to defend God's expression of spiritual life from those that would want to distort it and to discredit the nature of the new birth. That is one of the primary reasons why the first letter to John was written. John says, God has given us this testimony and the testimony is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. There were so many distortions, even decades after, just decades after Jesus' death and resurrection about the new birth. And that's why John wrote many of, most if not all of his letters was to show the love of God being poured out. So I conclude this, this today, friends, with, the, with this thought. From God's standpoint, there is an inseparable connection between human life and physical life. And let me il illustrate it this way, and then I want to tell you something precious 
as a remembrance in my heart. I want you to again picture the portal here, the portal of human life and the portal of eternal life. We both know that they are real. We both know that the Bible speaks much of them, but oftentimes we fail to see the connection between the two. Watch this. We know from John's gospel, chapter 1, that was read earlier in our morning worship, that the word Jesus became flesh. He entered into the portal of human life. God became a human being. God, being fully God, also became fully human. 100% God, 100% human. And as he entered into this human portal called the, the experience of life, he experienced all of the things that we experienced in this life. But he came with a purpose. And he came with a purpose to provide eternal life. That's what he was trying to tell Nicodemus in John chapter 3. I have come to provide eternal life. But many people, as John chapter 1 and many other passages of Scripture will attest, many people rejected that message, that word that came from God through the human portal about eternal life. And so there's something that is between this human portal and eternal portal of God. And that, that object between the two is the cross of Calvary. Because it's at the cross of Calvary we see both the divine love of God for eternal life for you. We see that God so loved the world so much that he became a man in the person of his son. So that in the experience of human life, by living a perfect life, he might suffer, he might die, and his blood would be shed for sinners like me and like you. So that through faith in him, this portal of eternal life would be opened. So those of you who have not received eternal life. I don't know in this, in this room who has or who hasn't. But I can just simply say to you, if you have not received the gift of eternal life, see the beautiful connection between life created by God in the human realm connected with life created by God in the eternal realm and see that the way that you move from human life to eternal life is through the cross of Calvary. Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow as we sang. See the beauty and wonder of what God has done. And then those of you who have received eternal life by embracing what Jesus has done on the cross, now in this portal of eternal life, the Bible says you already have eternal life. Jesus said it in John 6. He who believes in me already has eternal life. Now in that portal of eternal life, you can turn back and look at the portal of human life. And you can see, oh, it is of such value. It is of such worth and beauty and wonder. Because not only does an almighty creator God 
want to want to fashion you in his image, but also now because of sin, an almighty redeeming God wants to cleanse you and give you that gift of eternal life. Oh, my friends, I pray today that you would see the wonder of life from God's standpoint, that there is an inseparable connection between human life and eternal life. Permit me just a moment to, as I close, to tell you uh, a very happy personal remembrance in my life. <clears throat> when I was uh, a young daddy, one of the things that I enjoyed doing with all three of my children, in the first, the, 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 I think it was our fifth wedding, anniversary, fifth wedding anniversary, Karen and I were married, on the day that we had celebrated our fifth wedding anniversary, we were bringing home our third child from the hospital. We had, we had a, a number of children pretty quickly. And we, uh, we loved to do it. And I know Beth loved to do it with, with her son, Joe. Uh, at, at, at evening time, I used to love to, to, uh, to give the children their baths. And I know that there are daddies here that like to do that, that, that love to do that too. And let me tell you, there was this little vinyl, I, I was going around, I know I've got it in my house somewhere, I just can't remember where I put it, but I've got it. It's a little vinyl, uh, vinyl bath playbook. Can I say it that way? And the title of that little bath playbook, if I read that one time to all three of my children, I must have done it a thousand times. So I'm going to recite it to you out of personal remembrance. It goes like this. God made wonderful me. That's the title of the book. Look in my bathtub, and what do you see? Wonderful me. Wonderful fingers. Wonderful toes. Wonderful kneecaps. Wonderful nose. God must be great to make wonderful me. That shows how wonderful God must be. Let's bow in prayer. Perhaps in your life, as you have heard what God's Word has said this morning, there may be some of you here today, or those listening by live stream, where you have thought about these things and you perhaps have not received and reached out to receive by faith the gift of eternal life made possible by the Lord Jesus Christ, life, death, and resurrection. And you want to receive that gift of eternal life. Just simply pray this prayer, but remember it's coming from your heart. Lord Jesus, thank you for creating me in this world. I come to realize that my life is broken, that I've sinned, that I have turned away from you. And yet in your love, you became a human being, God himself becoming a human for me by offering your life on the cross. And then three days later, coming back from the dead so that through faith in you, I would have life and have eternal 
Today, O oh God, I reach out and receive that gift of eternal life through your great work, Lord Jesus. And I ask that you would fill me with your word and with your presence, O oh God, that I may walk with you all the days of my life that remain. There might be those of you who lack assurance of your salvation or you have just failed to see the beautiful connection between human life and eternal life. My prayer for you today would be something like this. Oh God, would you help each person here who has the gift of eternal life to look back upon this human life and to see how wonderful from your standpoint, how good, how gracious, how merciful, how kind, how almighty God you have done so many incredible things to show me the glory of your world, of your creation, of your people. Help me from this day to come to a deeper, greater appreciation because I have eternal life to see human life the way you would want it and to value it and to cherish it from your eyes. Lord, we pray that you would hear these prayers and help us to see from your standpoint the beauty and wonder of both human life as well as eternal life. For you alone are worthy of all of these things. We ask it in your precious name. Amen.